0: Welcome to Objection to the Rule, the Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, We are recording this uh, episode on Thursday, December 17th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, December 20th. My name is Teresa Robinson, and I'm on air today with my co-hosts, Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith. How's it going, ladies?
1: good enjoying being snowed in (laughs) it was so pretty
2: right yeah it was it was I remember uh well I remember it was last night like last night like looking out the window and just like I forgot how bright nighttime is when it's snowing did you guys like you notice that like it's normally like you know nearly pitch black out my window but there's so much more light like reflecting off the snow it was pretty I yeah loved
0: it. <laughs> okay yeah I loved it I took the puppy out today and she was just like what is this cold stuff on my feet so <laughs> it helps that
2: I, yeah oh I know it helps that I didn't have to go anywhere too so I do feel for the people that had to to face that storm but
1: yeah, yeah. I did a last minute run out to get something to put around my windows to make sure there's no cold air coming in and so like Make sure I had enough groceries to last me, but I, when I went outside, I was smiling like a little kid. <laughs> I love. I like the first snow, or like the first pretty nice snow, before it gets like grungy and nasty, and I don't have to be out in it. So yeah, I, I'm I'm happy we have snow. <laughs> yeah, I
0: know, right? I hate when it's cold and there's no snow. It's just like sad.
1: No words <laughs> yeah. Or when it's raining and cold, like oof. Exactly.
0: All right, so this week we'll be discussing the effects of indoor dining shutdown in New York City and the mental toll it's taken uh, the pandemic on the workers in the restaurant industry, uh, the change of name for major major league baseball team, Biden's selection of Deb Holland for Interior Secretary, and the Indian farmers' protest, and much more. So let's go ahead and kick off our episode with our local news segment. Emily, you're up to the mic.
2: All righty. So this one is a little bit of a long one, but um, I think it's it's important and, and interesting too. So um, as regular listeners of the show may be aware, uh, the inner workings of the restaurant industry are, some, are things that, you know, that's something that's pretty personal to me. I've been following the turmoil that the industry has been facing this year pretty closely. Um, so on Monday, December 14th, Indoor dining was shut down again in the city after being reopened only at the end of September. So it survived basically two and a half months. Um, Cuomo halted indoor dining in an attempt to help a recent COVID spike settle back down. Um, As we talked about on the show last week, the food service industry is practically in free fall. Eater New York has a running list of the New York City restaurants that have closed since the pandemic started. And it's at least 1,000 as of the end of November. Um, Pete Wells, the restaurant critic for The New York Times, published an article on the 14th titled, Just When Restaurants Thought 2020 Couldn't Get Any Worse, Everything Seemed to Conspire Against New York City's Food and Drink Businesses. Now, indoor dining has been taken away again. He writes, quote, We can start with the coronavirus itself, which might have been custom engineered to inflict maximum damage in rooms where strangers talk animatedly in close proximity – um, parentheses, note to the build-your-own-reality cult. That's a figure of speech. It wasn't engineered at all. Um, but the more we learn about it, including the results of a South Korean study showing that an infected person had passed the virus to somebody sitting more than six feet away after just 10 minutes of exposure, the more we understand that people are unusually, unusually vulnerable to infection when they are inside restaurants, uh, end quote. And uh, financial relief has basically been non-existent for the industry. Quote, Mr. Cuomo did promise to extend the moratorium on commercial evictions, which would have expired on January 1st. Congress did pass the CARES Act, which wasn't perfect, but kept many unemployed restaurant workers afloat, as long as they weren't undocumented. But the Paycheck Protection Program was a disaster for many restaurants, as industry groups pointed out repeatedly, each time Congress had a chance to fix it and declined. Another bill that would budget up to $120 billion to bail out independent restaurants and bars is slowly gathering cobwebs in Washington. Congress hasn't explicitly told restaurants to drop dead yet, but then the year is not quite over, end quote. Um, CBS New York reported New York City restaurant workers were protesting for financial relief in Times Square on Tuesday the 15th. The article um, from CBS also included a grim reminder. Quote, a recent report conducted by the industry found that two-thirds of New York restaurants will close in the next few months without any financial assistance. Um, So, yeah. So, listeners may know that I'm not a huge fan of pandemic indoor dining from a safety point of view, but I thought this was pretty interesting. Uh, In Pete Wells' article, he writes, quote, Mr. Cuomo undermined his case for a citywide shutdown when he acknowledged that restaurants and bars accounted for less than 2% of new COVID cases while saying that uh, 74% of new cases are coming from household gatherings and living room spread. But I was also particularly struck this week by a December 10th Grub Street article by Chris Crowley titled, um, All of This is kind of killing me right now. New York, New York's restaurant workers grapple with the crushing mental and physical toll of COVID. Uh, That article came out a few days before New York City shutdown, indoor dining shutdown happened again. But the issues it raises continue to be relevant and important. Um, So most of the rest of my story is going to be me quoting from that article because I I found so much of it just really poignant. Um, So, quote, as the pandemic wears on, many of New York's restaurant and bar workers say that this year is taking a deep mental and physical toll on them. For many of these past 10 months, have been defined by anxiety, crippling uncertainty, and worries about their own health and, and anger. Uh, quote, oh, sorry. Uh, there's an example of, quote, a server in Brooklyn's Prospect Heights neighborhood. She says that since going back to work, she makes approximately two thirds what she did before the pandemic. The shifts, though, bring for- far more stress as new concerns, new responsibilities, and new COVID rules have transformed the job into something entirely different. It's exhausting to use so much energy to be polite and nice to people who don't care, she says of customers who ignore the COVID regulations. Everyone is burned out because we've now all become bouncers, weird nurses taking people's temperatures, and babysitters. Please don't stand up. Please wear a mask. She has no choice but to enforce the rules, even as customers actively try to flout them, because her bar will be fined thousands of dollars if they're in violation. Um, Another one quote workers say that reopening restaurants has felt like putting on a performance of normalcy to make the dining experience feel as ordinary as possible, even if it's happening on a sidewalk, but behind the scenes workers say the jobs are almost unrecognizable. We have put on an excruci we have put an excruciating amount of work into making the experience as normal as possible for guests. One bartender tells Grub Street, but for the rest of us, this sucks. None of us return to the job that we worked at beforehand. Nothing is the same for us. Um, quote: Much of the friction comes from customers who revert to the old way of doing things, even as circumstances have changed dram- dramatically. Pinch Chinese's Miguel de Leon says. Several people spoke about customers expressing dissatisfaction or even anger about wines or dishes not available, and of experiences not being up to pre-pandemic standards. Uh, Quote, Chinese Americans and other people of East and Southeast Asian descent have also had to deal with racism, including physical attacks from xenophobes emboldened by COVID. De Leon says that Pinch, like restaurants in Chinatown and elsewhere, have seen a drop in tips and check averages. De Leon adds, uh, this is fucking dehumanizing. It does not feel great. I like to believe that there is some sort of art to hospitality, but when your patrons aren't even thinking about that, when they're thinking solely about the value of what they're going to eat out uh, to get, it becomes so one-sided that I'm this close to being absolutely one hundred percent done with it. Uh, Quote, customer-facing jobs especially have also seen an increase in responsibilities as many businesses try to operate with smaller staffs. One manager says 80-hour work weeks are not uncommon, even as many non-tipped employees say their hours have been cut to keep down costs. Um, And finally, quote, communication between management and staff remains complicated at many restaurants, too. A situation that is understandable as owners grapple with an industry in free fall and ever-fluctuating regulations, but no less frustrating for the workers trying to navigate spaces as safely as possible. Several people spoke about COVID cases going unreported or finding out about a case before officially being informed by management. Rumors now circulate in the industry about bars, restaurants, and breweries where cases went unreported. The owners are trying to survive and the staff are trying to survive, says... uh, rife schneider who's a quote a mental health counselor who worked in hospitality for 10 years unfortunately their needs are not aligned all the time and that's creating creating a lot of conflict all right so uh, so that brings me to the end of my local story this week um in conclusion the way i see it congress's inability to provide financial relief for the restaurant industry during the pandemic has not only decimated so so many businesses but has forced workers of um of these, uh, industry places that do remain open into unsafe and psychologically painful conditions in the attempt to stay afloat. Um, and if you're looking for ways to help, you can one go to www.saverestaurants.com take, um, hyphen action and fill out the form created by the independent restaurant coalition that will be sent to your congressional representatives, asking them to pass restaurant relief now. You can also order out, uh, take out as much as possible directly from your local favorites and tip really, really high. And if you do go out to eat, don't be an asshole. <laughs> um, and that is my story.
0: That was a great story, Emily. And I, I could tell your passion because obviously your life has majorly changed. And, you know, I can concur with that as well. Um, losing, you know, my bartending job at the start of this as well. I mean, though it was additional income, just like the way it is to be out in New York is just not the same. You know, I'm always nervous when somebody's reaching to take my temperature that I haven't met. You know, it's it's always just awkward for the patrons and the people working. But I can imagine how different the experience is. Like, it's not enjoyable anymore, seems like, to work there, you know?
2: Uh, absolutely. I just, I remember... um keeping this as anonymous as possible someone who is on like the managerial side of things but like like doesn't even like face customers ever um you know trying to tell someone who was thinking about going back to work you know but like was scared about covid just like oh you know it's just this is the industry we work in like blah 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 and it's just like no it's not (laughs) no one signed up for this emily I mean, <laughs> No, I don't want to. Um, I get it, I not get it. to not today. Um my anxiety is too high already, but um but it's like no day it's day is coming whoever you are. <laughs> it's just like how you you're not even someone who's ever going to have to be in that situation where you feel unsafe cuz you get to work in an office like away from everyone else or at home even. It's just like right. it's so crazy to me that you would, you know, and like yeah it's her job to convince people to like go back to work but like that's it's just like it's like gaslighting almost you know like the no don't tell me this is what I signed up for because it's not yes
0: (laughs) and it's it's a double-edged sword too because it's like you want to work but not like that you know so you like risking everything just to try to work and pay your bills and keep your job it's insane
2: Right. Right. And it's, yeah, that's the other part too, where it's like, it's, it is the struggle, you know, it's not like, oh, this was something I enjoyed doing in my free time. It's like, you know, it's like whoever has that job, like it's, it's how they pay their bills. Right. It's how they put food on the table. The way people
1: will try to weaponize that way of thinking too, like this is what you signed up for. like you see the people saying that shit about yeah. teachers and nurses and stuff yes. as if they like they did not sign up to be frontline public health yeah like, police officers basically trying to you know babysit you. and I also feel like at one at one of my former jobs, like they were a bit late to close. And so, a a bunch of other places they were not open, but then we were open. And the day that that happened, it was like all the worst people were showing up. Because I think that, you know, not that I think everyone who has chosen to eat out at a place right now is like terrible. I don't believe that. But I do think that it it definitely messes with like the proportion of the customers you have to deal with that are mm-hmm. assholes is going to go yeah. up exponentially when they're out in spite of it being mm-hmm. the worst time to go out. Because yeah it's almost like all the people that are the most considerate and are probably the nicest customers to deal with, they kind of are self-selected out of that pool because they're not going out or like they're ordering out. So you have the most like insistent entitled people making up like a two like uh an abnormally large share of the people that are going out and demanding these services so I I really mm-hmm. feel for having to deal with shit like that you know like I, I would be afraid to have to tell somebody to put a mask on or whatever like it's people out here where I grew up there was a bar uh, recently a 70 some year old man was in there and he asked another customer to please put a mask on they punched him and he died like people I didn't are, I hear about
0: that. Wow! New oh my god. In upstate,
1: upstate New York, it's like somebody's like grandfather is like gone because they're asking you to please where I'm at, and this is the mentality oh that you're god. up against with some of these people. That's and so like insane. you said, people are, like there's these xenophobic attacks happening. You don't know, like some people. It's unfortunate, but there are definitely people that wake up in the morning and their intention is to start shit and hurt someone. And these types of situations give them like the perfect opportunity to be like, I dare you to say something to me like I'm not going to follow your rule. I'm free or whatever the fuck. So
2: on top of the fact that the industry is built to make customers like almost feel like that they have that sort of power in normal circumstances. And then you just you add on like owners and whoever else like trying to create pretend everything is still the way it was before for the customer experience. And you do create that perfect storm of, of customers who felt entitled to shit anyway, just like creating a totally dangerous situation. Um, it's, and like it's on it's steroids.
1: It's like already yeah. bad, but now it's like, it's been ramped up to 11 in the snow.
0: Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really insane um thank you so much for bringing light to that emily and it you know it never it we still don't know how this is going to how long it's going to last what it's going to be like but uh definitely thinking about everybody in the service industry during these times just hoping that some relief is coming soon i know there were some talks about a the new stimulus bill coming sooner than later so hopefully they'll do more to help small businesses and restaurants and things of that nature that really need it right now
1: yeah, I think that's the only real answer is you need that level of support because it's only so much you can do by ordering takeout or supporting the business. Like that's, right. it's not sustainable.
0: Absolutely. They need the same protections that all these big businesses are giving their people. So um definitely. Well, thank you so much for that, Emily. We have an update from the station. Jasmine?
1: All right. So if you live in New York City, the greatest city in the world, and you run for either fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the city while you're getting in your workout. City Running Tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in the diversity and character of its neighborhoods, and these unique running tours offer an opportunity to learn the history of a neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Choose from tours of 23 neighborhoods, including the East Village, the Upper West Side, Bushwick, Long Island City, and Roosevelt Island. For more information about the running tours and to see the list of neighborhoods and full tour schedule, check out their website at www.cityrunningtours.com forward slash New York City.
0: Awesome. Thank you. So we're going to jump right into our first music break for the day. This is a really cool jazz track called Pace, and it's by Nubia Garcia, an award-winning saxophonist, composer, and DJ based in London. Check it out, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. So we're going to jump right into our national news segment. Uh, Information from my story has been drawn from an article on New York, The New York Times by Coral Davenport. Also from an article on thecut.com from Claire Lampin. And then finally from msn.com. And the author of that article is Grace Panetta. Um, So President-elect Joe Biden intends to build, quote, A cabinet of first making his appointments for his new administration so far. Many of his nominees have turned out to be officials rolled over from the Obama administration, but some have been legitimately historic. He has selected Representative Deb Holland as his nominee to serve as the secretary of the interior. If confirmed, she would be the first ever Native American to serve at the cabinet level in a presidential administration and is poised to play a key role in repairing the historical fraught relationship between Native American tribes and the federal government. She would directly oversee the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the Bureau of Indian Education, and the bureau charged with managing financial assets Native Americans hold with the federal government. A member of the Laguna Pueblo tribe, Holland has served one term in the U.S. House of Representatives and was just elected for her second. During her time in Congress, she has been a vice chair of the House Natural Resources Committee. And before that, she was New Mexico's Democratic Party chair, the first indigenous woman elected to the post and participated in the Standing Rock protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline. For generations, Native Americans have fought the department's policies and demanded a greater voice in the operation. In one instance in 1972, about 500 activists took over the department's headquarters in Washington, D.C., protesting living standards and broken treaties. As the Interior Secretary, she would manage the Bureau of Land Management, the National Park Services, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Those three departments are crucial in protecting U.S.'s natural resources from climate change, And what Holland and many other groups view as a harmful oil drilling and fracking activities on public land. Uh, She would basically be responsible for executing Mr. Biden's most controversial proposal, his pledge to ban all new hydraulic fracturing or fracking on public lands. So this is a really good thing. Um, Already, fossil fuel groups have been pushing back, urging senators to block her confirmation on Capitol Hill. Uh, in 244 years, there has never been a Native American woman serve in Congress. In a statement, Ms. Holland said, quote, it would be an honor to move the Biden-Harris climate agenda forward and help repair the government-to-government relationship with tribes that the Trump administration has ruined and serve as the first Native American cabinet secretary in our nation's history. So this is a big thing for the Native American communities of the U.S. Obviously, they have been hit um, even more than we expect by the coronavirus pandemic, of course. Um, there has been no congressional action to help these communities specifically with the virus. So when it comes to reservations, um, the fe- they're federal lands. So the relationship is essential to fund the schools, roads, infrastructure, and providing coronavirus resources. So we are hoping that this pick um, definitely goes through, at least I am. Uh, representation is not everything, but it seems to me um, that obviously Miss Holland is, you know, right fit for the course. She's definitely um, making waves in the places that she has been chosen to represent. And it's always good to see more women in leadership um, in our government to just move forward different agendas that we haven't had before. What do you guys think about this pick?
2: It's awesome. Hi.
1: Yeah, I think I think from what you're describing f- about her um, history, I think that this is one of the better ones that's been in the news recently. Because to your last point, I do think that sometimes, well, not some, all the time, like there's an overemphasis on representation for representation's sake, without really looking at what is this person's track record, what do they stand for? It's not yeah. automatically a win just because they belong to a certain group like they could be the Mm right-wing people in that group that are working against the group's interests so at least from what you said I'm not familiar with her outside of Mm -hmm. listening to this now but it does sound like at least this is a person who you know has a history of trying to do the right thing so absolutely
0: and during my research I did listen to um a lot of her speeches she was um And a couple of different programs about the women being elected to Congress last year and just the 20 um, that were newly elected. And she definitely seems very down to earth in her approach. She talks about how, you know, she's had to depend on government systems to take care of her children growing up. um, The struggles that she's had to uh, do her education and why these things are important to her. She also has a history of making friends on both sides of the aisle, if you will. So kind of that. Sort of bipartisan approach to being, um, to gaining support for some of the things that she feels is important to her community and other communities of color. Um, so I'm hoping that this works out well, and you know, we're talking about positive movement and some healing to be done. You know, obviously we can't fully heal what America has done to the Native American community at all, or any community for that matter. But at least this is a step in the right direction to make uh, the issues that are important to them more prominent. Um, in these discussions that we're having moving forward,
2: yeah, that's that was so awesome, Teresa. Um and uh, yeah, I loved hearing you know talking about being passionate about stuff. It's, you know, you did a great job presenting why this person is so important. thank you, so interesting. and I do want to, um, I do want to um, ask, though, I think you you said she's the first Native American in Congress but did you mean the cabinet?
0: Yes, in the cabinet there but there were two who were okay. elected in 2019. I have to find the other Native mm-hmm. American Congresswoman but she was one of two representing New Mexico. Very cool. I think yeah, I
2: remember. Didn't, yeah. Didn't you say the
1: first Native American woman? Yes. Or is woman. You, okay. Got I said got woman. It. Got yes.
2: It. Okay. Cool. Very cool. That's awesome. And also all this stuff is is Biden trying to ban fracking cuz I remember during the like election he was like wishy-washy on it that he like wouldn't actually ban it.
0: Well, he's um, he's
2: that's awesome. Yeah,
0: I mean, in this report from MSN, he's, you know, that was one of his platforms, his pledge to ban all new hydraulic yeah. fracturing and fracking on public lands.
2: Oh, he said new fracking. Maybe that's how he's going to get around it where it's like can, existing fracking can keep going, but like no new sites. I don't know. But regardless, less fracking is good. Absolutely. It's a win. And just awesome. and
0: just to turn back some of the things that Trump turned from the obama- Obama administration to go back so that we can have some sort of real environmental protections um established and um, yeah, because a lot of those policies were just rolled over you know by Trump and his administration, so it would be good to restore some of those things that we were already trying to work on then
2: Mhm, yeah, Trumps did a lot of damage <laughs> exactly. I'm glad we <laughs> still got environmental f- stuff.
0: I was about to say I'm glad we still have uh clean air, but that's debatable,
2: yeah, barely. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I really, I I hope, Um, like, one of the issues that I feel happens a lot with these wins is that, whether it's, like, talking about police forces or politicians, a lot of times, like, if you are progressive, and then you become a part of the system, and you're like, I'm going to change it from the inside, like, what happens nine times out of ten is you don't change the system; the system ends up changing you. Yeah, and the the climate crisis is so pressing and it's so extreme that I'm hoping that this person, that um, Deb Holland, is able to get a lot of these things passed, and that we see like some positive movement. But I'm always so concerned about how watered down things end up getting for the sake of making sure that it will pass, because the people that are they have a vested interest against these things working like they work double triple overtime to fight against them and then by the end of it what you tried to pass is like a fraction of what you might have intended or wanted so we'll see what happens i'm i'm hope i'm hoping that you know fingers crossed a huge difference is made but it's definitely something to look out for you know how do people start out when they enter the system and then how close do they stick to those things once they're actually in the position
0: right absolutely um you know we can only hope for the best definitely so far she's passed she's worked hard to you know have some bipartisan support i think she's passed i think the report said three different bills into law so she's been in office since 2019 so she is progressive um, forward thinking so hopefully she does what what we all need her to do um and let's hold her accountable darn it <laughs> we're watching you deb holland we're watching you right over here yeah. at otr
1: <laughs> yeah didn't, um it didn't rahm emmanuel like start moving down the list of people you know like bullying is effective <laughs> you know like, it. it sometimes bullying is the answer and you have to make noise if these people aren't doing what it is you elected them to do like they're not your fan they're not your friends they're not meant to be celebrities that you celebrate like they are public servants
2: yes i had a i i had a friend of a friend tell a friend or something like that people in in europe i think i think it might have been england or something but they're like they're all just like so baffled that we like Americans like worship their politicians like they do like they are celebrities because it's like they work for us like we literally our taxes pay their salary and it's just like this warped idea that they have so much power um yeah so yeah hold them accountable you pay their their wages you're their boss
0: that's right so like I said we're watching you Deb Holland. but congratulations on you know um fighting this far to make this difference, um, it's great to report a story like this. All righty, where well, I guess it's time for our next musical break. Jasmine, you gonna bring it in?
1: Yeah, so this song is connected to the world news story that I'll be doing. The title is Pecha, P E C H A. It's written by Harf Chima and sung by Chima and Kanwa Grewal, who are both Punjabi artists. Um, Grawal says of the Indian Farmer protest, which we'll be talking about soon, this is a big issue for us. We are all connected to the soil. Um, the video for this track shows convoys of trucks and tractors blocking highways and people shouting slogans. And the songwriter Chiwa says, the song is about common people fighting against the government for their rights. It is a democratic country. Everyone has the right to express their views. Farmers are protesting, and we are using music as a tool. So, here is Pecha written by Harf Chima and performed by Kanwar Grawal and Chima. <laughs>
3: welcome
0: back to objection to the rule on radio free brooklyn and now we'll have jasmine with our world news segment
1: okay so the title of the article this information is from is indian farmers hold day-long hunger strike as Protests intensify Uh, this was uh, posted on al jazeera this article was written by, let me get their name right, Bilal Kuche, New Delhi, India, leaders of Indian farmers unions have held a day-long hunger strike to put pressure on Prime Minister Narendra Modi's government to repeal a set of new farm laws. Farm leaders across India began their hunger strike at 8 a.m. on Monday, December 14th, and it ended that day at 5 p.m as farmers intensified their agitation for the 19th day. The new laws are meant to deregulate India's agriculture sector by allowing farmers to sell their produce to private buyers beyond government run wholesale markets, where farmers are assured a minimum price for their crops. The protesting farmers say that the laws threaten their livelihoods and will only benefit big corporations leaving growers at the mercy of a free market. This is the second time in two weeks the farmers have called for nationwide protests, asking people to hold sit-ins outside the district offices across the country. Currently, agriculture contributes nearly 15% to India's $2.9 trillion economy and employs more than half of the country's 1.4 billion people. However, the sector has been facing a crisis which has driven thousands of debt-ridden farmers to take their own lives in recent years. Amid the COVID-19 pandemic that has further disrupted the country's economy, the right-wing BJP government passed the three farm laws in September. Modi said the legislation was needed to boost the agriculture sector and that the new laws would benefit the farmers and quote, liberate them from the tyranny of middlemen. But the farmers who are mostly from Haryana and Punjab states considered the quote grain bowl of India have slammed the laws as being anti-farmer. Several rounds of talks between the farmer's representatives and the government have failed. The farmers demand complete revocation of the three laws and a minimum support price or MSP for their produce be guaranteed by the government. Right now, there are thousands of farmers camping outside the Indian capital of New Delhi, and they're blocking several highways leading into the city. Delhi State's Chief Minister Arvind Kejriwal, K-E-J-R-I-W-A-L, and his Am Admi Party, or the Common Man's Party, have extended support to the farmers by fasting with them on Monday. Kejrawal urged his party supporters to join the agitation and urged Modi's Bharatiya Janata party, or the BJP party, to agree to the demands of the farmers. A BJP spokesperson said that the party has advised them not to talk to the media on the protests since the ministers are holding talks with the farmers' representatives. Last week, the government sent a written proposal to the farmers' unions laying out a series of amendments, including written assurances over MSP, but the farmers rejected the offer. The government's proposal was just an eyewash, said farmer leader Hanan Mullah. It's been months now since the farmers started protesting against the three laws. We have sent several memorandums to the prime minister, agriculture minister showing our resentment to the farm laws, but the government does not care, he said. What the government is offering to the farmers are cosmetic changes, but those changes will not change the character of the law. The only way left for the farmers, Mullah said, is to continue their protests democratically and peacefully the number of protesters is only growing with more and more people, including elderly women, joining them. Kalnal Kaur, 75, says she traveled over 320 kilometers, over 200 miles, from Moga District in Punjab State to the Singhu border. Her granddaughter, Deep Kaur, who accompanied the elderly woman, told Al Jazeera that despite her old age and bad health, she refused to stay home and insisted on joining the protest. Until and un- unless and until Modi takes back these laws, we will not go back, the elderly Kaur said. Modi should know about the determination of Punjabi people. A few yards away sat Baljinder Kaur, 65, from Batala City in Punjab. She said many families protesting outside New Delhi have put locks on their houses. We understand what these laws can do to us. That is why we have come so far to protest, she said. We will return to our homes only when the laws are taken back. We came along with all of our family members to be a part of this protest, 70-year-old farmer Rathyard Singh from Haryana State said. So yeah, like this isn't exciting development. I think, you know, it's a shame that it has to happen, but I'm happy for the large groundswell and I'm wishing them a lot of luck with getting their demands met.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's definitely drastic measures that they have to take it this far. So I hope that they, you know, they get some movement on what they need, because this is major that they have to go this far to be heard.
2: Yeah. Um, hearing about movements starting in other countries, is interesting to me. There's nuances in other countries and just historic differences everywhere and how things work. And um, yeah, it's, will you, Jasmine, can you also repeat the the law? Can you say again what the law is? That so it's three
1: separate laws and the laws are basically trying to deregulate the farming industry. So it's, It's kind of, if you think about a lot of what's happening in the U.S. with deregulation, it's making it so that um, you're opening up the industry to free market forces instead of making sure that people working in the industry are guaranteed to have a certain amount of money. And it's being, people will talk about it like, oh, freedom, blah, blah, blah. But they don't talk about the fact that those types of deregulations like they benefit big business they don't benefit small farmers you know like you need to have a guarantee that you'll have enough money to feed your family instead of you know you're being prompted to undercut each other you know try to sell your product for as low as you can just so you can Mm -hmm. sell it period and that's what they're fighting against
2: yeah like free market farm stuff in this country is why farmers I mean I think it's why I I've studied this slightly in my like economics 201 class maybe but like far like farmers in this country when there's not a big enough market for some of their crops will just destroy their crops instead and there are so many people in this country that are hungry and don't have enough food Um, so I'm not a huge fan of like having too much Market forces when it comes to things like you know crops and stuff because it it usually does not benefit the people who really need both the food and the money right like the small farmers um and the people who are the most hungry in a place um yeah yeah
1: yeah I def I definitely agree and it's it's disturbing how the messaging around free markets, it's, it's really, it's so dishonest and it's so deceitful. Like it hides the reality of what unregulated markets really mean. Um, so it's, it's, it's very sad that it got to the point where you had, you had thousands of people taking their lives. You know, I don't think I came across that until I was reading about this story, but you know, Uh that despair, like you're already living through a pandemic you're already probably even with the guaranteed income that you were getting before it's probably not mm-hmm. that much money but oh, wow. you know to be driven to the edge like that it's really it feels yeah, like the evil underbelly of a lot of these like policies mm-hmm. you know it's it's not just a difference of opinion like it's life and death for people especially
2: and like on a, i was just going to say ahead. especially
0: with such a large portion of Um, the Indian people depend on agriculture and farming to take care of themselves. Like I've just read an article in the guardian. It says 60% of the Indian population depend on agriculture for their livelihood. Um, that's pretty major, you know, that's more than half. So this unity that they're all showing protesting on these highways and all over, um, you know, they definitely have bands together, but you know, it would be great to just hear that their government would honor at least the minimum basic costs that they want them to, to pay for grain to, you know, even though, you know, I guess there's no guarantee unless it's written into law or policy, but it would be nice to get some feedback on what they're actually asking for, which is just minimums that they can protect the minimums that they're expecting to be paid for what they have to offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think here there's been multiple articles, I think on the New York times about farmers committing suicide or dying by suicide. Because they just I, can't make it, you know, so I and that's in the quote unquote richest country in the world, so yeah, just imagine what it's like.
2: I was gonna say actually i I haven't heard about farmers in the u s, but I know that there's been a series amongst cab drivers in New York City for like um not, not obviously not the same reasons, but because they can't make a living with Uber and stuff like that, like that's sort of like um just totally you know, they're like a lack of regulation, I guess. Right. So yeah. Parallel in that, in that sense.
1: Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking about too. Like, yeah, there's, and you see in like all the advertisements, it's like, oh, freedom, flexibility, work your own hours. Like you can use your own car. And then you see the reality of what that means. You know, like a lot of these farmers that have, um, unfortunately taken their lives, we you know, eyeballs deep in debt and how we have a lot of people, a lot of them are from immigrant communities in this country going to debt, getting cabs, yep. you know, like trying to pay off their medallion. And then you have mm-hmm. all these deep, these unregulated services that they then have to compete with and they can't like it was already a hard life. And now it's 10 times harder. And the people trying to live off these apps are not able to do it so I I hope more people start to wake up to, you know, this, this shitty idea of freedom. It's not working. You know, you have people producing more than enough food for there to not be any hunger, but because of the market, stuff is being thrown away. You know, people can't eat their own products and live healthily. It's, you know, it's not this it free like the the way freedom is thrown around to cover up these really shitty nefarious things it's really disgusting
0: wow thank you so much for shedding light on on this story jasmine um definitely sending prayers for the people in india hopefully that they can get their demands met um and things can stabilize for their communities as well all right. So, Emily, you have a good news story for us.
2: I do. Yes. Um. So this story I found uh, in a December 13th New York Times article by David Waldstein and Michael S. Schmidt titled uh, Cleveland's Baseball Team Will Drop Its Indians Team Name. The article explains, quote, after years of protests from fans and Native American groups, the Cleveland Indians have decided to change their team name moving away from a moniker that has long been criticized as racist. The article actually came out the day before the team made it official, um, scrapping a name they've had since 1915. And another New York Times article by David Waldstein explains, quote, over several months, the organization, led by the team's controlling owner, Paul Dolan, conducted research and held interviews with what it called stakeholders, Fans of the team, Native American groups, religious and civic leaders from a variety of backgrounds, researchers, historians, and psychologists. And on Monday, the team announced it would abandon the name Indians, which many feel is an outdated relic of subjugation. The team will choose a new name in an unspecified time frame. Until it does, it will still be called the Indians, but that is temporary. Um, And quote, in July, the Washington football team stopped using a name considered a racial slur after pressure from several key sponsors, including FedEx, Pepsi, and Nike. On the same day, Cleveland's baseball organization announced a review of its own name. Cleveland was already considering a move away from the name and had abandoned a caricature logo, Chief Wahoo, uh, the year before. So this move is part of a continuum. And uh, here's to progress. Maybe my hometown will follow suit one day. Because they're still the Chiefs. Wait, um, where? In New Jersey, north northern New Jersey.
1: What is that? The team? A team of what? Baseball players?
2: It's just like the you know every sports team in the high school. Oh, oh, um,
1: I never knew, I
2: knew
1: that. Yeah, I was about to say. I'm yeah. like, I know about the New Jersey Devils. I'm like, no, no, no,
2: the Nets,
1: <laughs> the Jets. No,
2: no, no, no. The Jersey New Jersey NJ Jackals, I think, is the minor Jackals. league Jackals. No, my yeah yeah all right yay yay changing the names i never i mean it's pretty cool i like at least for the washington football teams like they were digging their heels in so hard even just a few years ago like no way like blah 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 so it's it's pretty cool that um forces can come together to make that shit happen
1: yeah i feel like this is a it's a watershed moment like with all the protests and things happening for racial justice over the summer it's it's nice to see like some kind of a domino effect of these teams being forced to actually make a change it's it's just it's a shame that it took this long yeah Mm -hmm. they, they they were around for so many generations and you know, I I do. We've talked about it before on this show, but a lot of times, native issues are treated like they're so in the past. But you you would see these logos everywhere, like yeah. it's no big deal to present, you know, human beings in this like caricaturish, dehumanizing way. So it's it's late, but it's better late than for it not to happen. That's right. That's right. We still got a lot of work
0: to do, but let's um, applaud. The small changes because all the small ones lead to the big ones, right?
1: Yeah, and I I just saw I don't know if y'all noticed, but um the Negro leagues are now like their stats are now being included. Yes, I seen that story and, this um, morning.
2: I did see that.
1: So Yeah, and
2: it also crazy that it took this long for that to happen. Um but yeah, also crazy that it had that they weren't allowed to play in Major League Baseball, black people either. Um but yeah, it's a, it's I'm sure them progress. stats gonna change yeah.
0: the game for real. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, there was there was a little bit of like, oh, they're doing it because they want to sell merch or whatever, but let's just hope that it was for the right reason. <laughs> yeah, um,
2: I mean, we live in a capitalist society. Like everyone's always going to be able to make money off, try and make money off of something, but um, there's, you know, better reasons than others. Shoot, um, <laughs> I would
0: buy that shit. I can't even <laughs> front. me. Let me get a Negro League baseball Sweatshirt.
1: I rip. Yeah, totally. If you want to get Teresa something for Christmas. You know,
0: I I mean, I could use a little sunshine. So, yes, please do so. So, I think that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Jasmine, you want to let our listeners know how they can follow us on social media before we get out of here?
1: Yes, I am once again asking you to please follow the accounts. So, our Facebook page, it can be found at facebook.com forward slash objection radio free BK. That's all one word with no spaces. And you can follow us on Instagram at at objection to the rule. No, no space, no spaces, no punctuation, just the show title.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, everybody, for supporting the show um, and also for supporting the station. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify. Listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. We're going to play you out with a new track. This one comes from Britney Spears and the Backstreet Boys. I know, right? Like, what? I know, I found it today. But it's really, really fun. The track is called Matches. Enjoy. We'll see you next week. Bye.
1: Bye Bye-bye. Bye.
4: It's borderline unfair. You know I can see your brain, it's screaming my name. Uh and if it's up to me, I, I need you in between my, midnight Egyptian sheets. You know I can see your brain, think you feel the same.